Can we clap and celebrate what God is doing through different chorus? And uh, uh, what I want you to hear, all of you, is that if you're living, if you're alive and you're breathing, God has a mission and purpose for your life. Uh, you never get to a point in your life where God is finished with you and using you while you're on this earth. And your birthday gets to Jesus. You just kind of see all the various ways that God is using it to bless a lot of people. And so, man, just uh, kudos, kudos to what God is doing here. Thanks be to God. Uh, I would invite you to find your Bibles. If you have one, if you need one, raise your hands. Uh, whether you're at True Worth, I think you'll have them there online. You can go find yours in the sanctuary. They're right there in the pew in front of you. And you're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 9, if you would like to do so. Uh, we'll be in Isaiah 9. I'll then invite you to go over to Isaiah uh, chapter 2. But Isaiah 9. And while you're kind of getting situated with your message notes and everything, uh, some of you are really going to want to take notes this morning. I'm just kind of setting you up. You're really going to do that. Is that I need to give you a now one more report. So I told you I'd kind of do that when we have an update. And I have an update. Uh, we, I told you that there was a, a, a number that we had to get to. When we got to that number, we kind of crossed over that your session would say, let's go. If you're new here, uh, back in uh, October, we started the message series called Now and More. And it was a part of the reclaiming of this building called The Ark for our student ministry. And that means getting worship out of it, which means having another place for us to worship, which means building a new worship space. And so we kind of went through this six weeks, six month time of, of prayer and stuff. And so we, I'm here to tell you, we have crossed that number and the session has pushed the go button. We are on go. Your sacrificial generosity, uh, it's happening. And uh, I just want to say thank you. It, it is so exciting. We've already uh, began having conversations with our architect, with our builder, uh, start with the city next week. We hope to break ground in the summer and uh, start building early fall, just so everyone, everyone should know. Uh, we still have not reached that final number. And so, hey, if you're someone who's still praying and wrestling, uh, being open to what God would have you to do, man, just thank you for doing that and uh, hope you have a joy-filled experience of sacrificial generosity. Uh, this morning, we're going to read our jump-off passage from Isaiah chapter 9. This is written some 100 years before Jesus was born. And it's simple verse, verse 6. We'll put it on the screen in case you don't have the scriptures. It says, For to us a child is born, uh, to us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Say the last part with me, please. Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And so many years later when he is born, one of the first things he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5, uh, chapter 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, uh, for they shall be called the children, the sons and the daughters of God. Then right before Jesus is going to the cross over in John chapter 14, uh, he's about finished his three years of ministry, and he says this, uh, Hey, peace I leave with you. Now, I love how he adds on to it. My peace. Not somebody else's peace. Uh, not a world peace. It's different than any kind of peace you'll ever have. My peace. I leave with you. And I think the people that were following Jesus heard him talk about this so often. Uh, they got the message. And so from Acts all the way through the book of Revelation, uh, you get all these passages about peace. Uh, Colossians 3.15 It 
says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Uh, let it be king of your hearts. Let peace be the ruler. Since you are members of one body, you're called to peace. Uh, you're just not called to peace. You are called to be a peacemaker. Uh, First Peter makes it even stronger. Uh, chapter 3, verse 11, his, his little old book. Uh, he says, uh, turn. You got, they got to turn from evil. Stop doing stuff that doesn't bring peace. Stop it. Do good. Just stop the evil things. Do the good things. And then he says, chase peace. Pursue it. Run after it. Find it. Don't stop till you have it. Make it a priority in your life to be filled with the peace of Christ and be a peacemaker for Christ. Do it. Uh, we would be remiss if we did not go backwards in the scriptures uh, back to Luke chapter 2. On the night that Christ was born at Luke chapter 2 with the angelic choir singing over the dark skies of Bethlehem and they say, glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, what do they say? Peace upon all whom God's favor rests. Now, if you have been reading your Bible like I have been asking you to, to start every morning in this Bible, 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 5 seconds, just something. A little bit every day, by now, you will have discovered the heart of God on this matter. That the heart of God is really stirred when people want to be peacemakers. This concept of peace is so profound that the prophet Isaiah... A hundred years before Jesus cast a vision of peace that is so poetic and profound that people who have no faith and people who have all different kinds of faith have quoted it, rewrote it in many different ways. Let me read it to you. Isaiah 2, verse 4, the second part of it. It says, uh, that someday they will beat their swords into plowshares. They will beat their spears into pruning hooks. In other words, hey, someday all farm implements, excuse me, all uh, war, all uh, weapons of war will be turned into farm implements is what it's saying. It's saying someday all B-51 and B-1 bombers will be dropping from the air, not bombs, but food supplies and water supplies. Uh, to people who have been displaced because of earthquakes and tsunamis and all tragic sort of things that happen on this earth. Uh, someday, the scripture is saying, um, all aircraft carriers, all navies of the world will become these floating vessels all over the oceans, uh, just floating hospitals, just carrying mercy and hope and healing uh, to refugees and the people who are poor. Uh, it's really saying that someday all the defense and military budgets of the world of every nation and every country combined 
will be investing in life instead of multiplying death. That is the vision of Isaiah. That someday there will be peace on this planet. Peace all over the planet. Uh, peace among everyone, everywhere, all over. Uh, that's the vision. In your notes, number one, every Jesus follower is called to be a peacemaker. Every single one. That's the call of being a follower of Jesus, to be a peacemaker. I'm not talking about a fragile peace uh, that's held together precariously in the balance by world leaders depending if they're going to push or threaten on the use of a nuclear bomb or nuclear, not, not that kind of peace. Uh, I'm not talking about a delicate kind of peace uh, that crumbles easily because it's held together by a prenuptial agreement. Restraining orders, divorce papers, last will and testaments, other legal papers. I'm talking about a sturdy piece, a rock-solid piece that's held together by world leaders and populations of people like those who can hear my voice right now. Like people who are equally yoked in marriage in Christ. Who are committed to the core of their being. That conflict is better resolved around board tables than battlefields and kitchen tables than courtrooms. When Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers... He was commissioning every single person who would ever be a follower. Are there any followers who can hear my voice this morning? In the sanctuary, True Worth online or here in this house right here called the Ark. Are there any followers here this morning? If there are, please hear. He has commissioned anyone who would follow him to make a contribution to the vision of peace on earth. Everyone. And that includes working for peace in your marriages. That includes working for peace in your family relationships, your immediate and extended family. Uh, working for peace where you work. Uh, working for peace in this political climate in which we live. Working for peace where you go to school. Working for peace in your church. Working for peace wherever you live, you play. That's the call of someone who's a follower of Jesus. Be a peacemaker. So I found myself asking myself this question. Hey, Rick, uh, how seriously are you taking this peacemaking mandate? I've been wrestling with that. Uh, let me ask you this morning who are here. How seriously are you taking the call to be a peacemaker? Do you think about it? Do you pray about it? 
Do you engage in peacemaking activities in your life? Do you? Do you? I found myself in this kind of conflict in my brain, this crazy place in my brain this week, uh, past two weeks, really kind of struggling with all sorts of stuff. I mean, really a crazy place. I'm trying to, I'm still having resolved it all. Some of you are saying, uh, Pastor, you're always in a crazy place. You're never going to get that stuff resolved in your brain. I know, uh, I, I get that. But this partic- particularly crazy uh, the past couple of weeks because I've been reading all this stuff about peace, all that I could about peacemaking. Uh, blogs, books, articles, uh, listen to podcasts, all that I could. At the same time, while reading about war strategies, I've been paying attention to what's going on in Syria. Really bothered me. Really bothered me the outcome of where things stand among the people in Syria and just the suffering and the poverty. That's even multiplied even more now. It's just, it's, it's just terrible. And for years, it's going to be lasting. So I've been studying a lot of the war strategies of U.S. and, and Afghanistan and Iraq and, and Syria here and everything. And so I've had this conflict. Uh, one day I'm studying peace. Uh, the next day I'm reading and studying about war. And I've, I've learned a lot of stuff. And I want to share one of the things that I've learned that I think an insight from my standpoint, I'll just offer to you, uh, number two in your message notes, that, that peacemaking and war-making, uh, they are both very intensive uh, strategic endeavors. Both of them. Strategic intensive. Both of them. I mean, if you're going to win a war, uh, you've got to have leaders that are meeting around a board table uh, trying to understand the weakness of the enemy, right? You want to know the weakness of the enemy, and you got to leverage your strength of your own troops so you can win the war and not just keep fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting, right? Strategy to make that happen. The same is true of making peace. Uh, Glenn Stassen, who is a Ph.D. at Duke University, he puts it this way. He said, peace, like war, must be waged. In other words, it's got to be strategic. It's got to be consistent. You've got to be courageous. You've got to have creativity in trying to make peace. You've got to have imagination. You've got to have heart. You've got to have wisdom. You've got to have careful intentionality and thought if you're going to be a peacemaker. So, with all this, I will tell you, I've been asking questions, lots of questions. Uh, I have more questions than I do answers uh, sometimes when we're doing this thing because I'm wrestling with stuff. And here's some of the questions I'm coming to asking. Uh, Why in the United States of America, if we have uh, all of these war colleges, and we do, we have five of them, uh, why don't we have peace colleges? And here, if if we have military academies, and we do, Some of the best learning institutions in the world are our military academies, and we've had many from this church who have gone there and graduated. Awesome, wonderful education and preparation. But if we have military academies, uh, why don't we have peace academies? And a little closer to home uh, in the church, uh, we have so many Christian colleges, Christian universities, offer all many different kinds of degrees, graduate and undergraduate Why don't we have more of our Christian colleges and universities offering degrees in peacemaking? Because Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And even more local in the church, the local church, uh, and like us. uh, We spend thousands of dollars all over the world, thousands of dollars in extending compassion to people that are in need, joyfully, rightfully so. 
But why doesn't the church invest more time and energy into peacemaking activities in the world? Why? Now, I'll tell you, I find all this kind of troubling for, for many reasons, and here's one of them. Uh, in my 64 and a half years of living, and all the reading, all the study, all the classes, all the research and everything, and the travels that I've been, God's allowed me to be in, uh, I, I think this is true. There's no greater predictor of suffering people continuing to suffer and poor people staying poor than an old-fashioned civil war. A border conflict between two nations just festering like the Hatfields and McCoys, never-ending. A neighborhood where there's crime, uh, an escalating crime rate where it just happens and nobody gives a rip, where young men are slaughtered, where young women are scarred by what they see and what they experience, by fields and cows and cattle that are just kind of savaged and pillaged and manufacturing plants leveled. You just allow that to happen on a regular basis, and I promise you this, poor people will stay poor, and suffering people will continue to suffer. That's just a fact. And as I've been wrestling with all this and thinking from a global understanding of what's going on here, it's really caused me to really struggle some things about who we are as a church and where God is leading us and the church in general in the world and the role of the church in the world and the follower of Jesus in the world. If you were here eight weeks ago, uh, we did a message uh, beginning our Now One More campaign about the eight value statements or eight DNA statements of a pathway. And, and I know none of you remember that. You can't remember last week. So just kind of nod your head and pretend uh, some of you that, oh, yeah, I remember. Just make me feel good. Oh, yeah, I remember. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's going to be no test. I promise you not to call you on it. Uh, but in that week, I gave you the second DNA statement, and I said it was like this. Uh, that Pathway Church, uh, we exist to extend compassion to people in need. Now, oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, nod your head. You already remember that. Pretend. Oh, yeah, I remember you saying that, Pastor. Uh, I've given a lot of thought to that since then. And I think today, if I was teaching that point, I would rewrite it. And part of it's kind of aspirational value. And all part of it, I think, is who we really are. Is that in your notes, Pathway Church exists to fight injustice, uh, to work for peace, and to extend compassion to the poor. Because, see, here's what I'm learning. Um, if you're really going to be the church and you're going to extend compassion to people that are in poor, and you do a lot of that, uh, your birthday gift to Jesus, you've extended a lot of compassion. Ethiopia, Nicaragua, Mexico on the border, uh, right here in your own backyard, True Worth, to our friends at True Worth, right here in Burleson, Texas. Uh, lots of compassion that you cannot separate fighting for injustice, making peace, working for peace. And it's compassion. You just can't do it. For those kids, kids that are abandoned, abused, and neglected, you're going to extend compassion. But we're also fighting for injustice so it doesn't happen again to get them out of those situations. And not only that, so they can know peace in their spirit, but also in their families, have a peaceful place as a kid to grow up. And so it's just really important. That's why I've been asking myself. What are we doing as a church to leverage 
this peacemaking responsibility. Do, some of you call this your church home. You've been here for a long time. I hope you realize, some of you, you not, don't take for granted how blessed we are. God's favor has been upon this church. And it's not because we're good. It's not. We're not that good. God is good. And God's favor has been upon this church, and God has blessed us in so many ways. And God has given us influence. Are you aware of that? You as a church have so much influence in this area of the world, and you don't even know it collectively, but individually, because there's some individuals in this place who worship here, that God has given you lots of influence where you work, uh, where you play, and where you do your thing. And here's my question. What are we doing with that influence? To leverage it for peace. You know, the Bible says, to whom much has given, much is finished, too much is given. Much is what? expected what are you doing with your influence what are we doing with God's favor to help bring about peace to be a peacemaker in a very divisive world in which we live I have been to Ethiopia several times a place where your birthday get the Jesus to make it a big difference and when I go over there, often I get to be a part of what's called a coffee ceremony. Now, when you get invited to a coffee ceremony in Ethiopia, uh, you're not going to Starbucks. Uh, you're not having a latte, okay, or one of those special little drinks that everybody likes to have. It's not like that. Uh, this, this coffee is so thick, it makes your espresso look like water, okay? You got to cut that little sucker with a knife before you can drink it. Uh, because it's on an open fire, these little, these little clay pots, and when they're cooking it, they're squatted down just like this. I mean, these folks know how to squat, and they're squatted down like here the whole time. And when they serve it to you, if you're really going to be in community with them, you squat down too. And they serve you while you're squatting, and you receive it, and you drink it while you're in this squat position. And you're having these conversations of community, uh, breaking down walls and barriers and all this sort of stuff. And the challenge is not getting down. The challenge is getting up. <laughs> you know, after you've been there for hours, you know. And so I'm at one of these coffee ceremonies in Western Ethiopia. And it was for the purpose of re reconciliation. Because there were Christians and Muslims at this coffee ceremony who lived in the same town. And the Muslims were sharing about how they had had some of their own family members killed by the extremist Christians. And the extremist Christians were sharing how they had had some of their family members killed by some of the extremist Muslims. And they were all hunkered down, having coffee, talking about it. Can we reconcile? Can we forgive each other and live together in the same town in peace? I felt honored to be and hear that conversation. I was also sometimes scared to death. It got pretty intense. Uh, it was pretty, the conversations were pretty, I thought, okay, something's going to break out here. Uh, I have uh, received an invitation this past fall to return to Ethiopia to that same area to train some emerging young leaders and pastors, and I'm not decided if I'm going back yet or not. I'm praying it through for 2020. But I would just ask you to be praying. Now, what is the role of Pathway Church? Will we consider our birthday gift to Jesus and our staff and us, our role in the world and right here, be praying, what is our role in being peacemakers 
in a very hostile world. For the time that we have remaining, I want to give you a framework for making peace in your family, for making peace in your, some of your relationships. Uh, this is something I learned and read about in part from a man named John Paul Lederach. Uh, John Paul Lederach is a professor at Notre Dame University who teaches a class on conflict resolution, but he does not call it conflict resolution because he thinks aiming for, for the resolution of conflict is aiming too low. He calls it uh, conflict transformation. So to kind of set the framework for this, the first thing I need to do is show you something that happened in the Owen household uh, a week ago yesterday. A week ago yesterday on a Saturday morning after Thanksgiving, I realized that I had not done anything about getting exterior decorations around our house, and it's my job to put up the lights, and it was time to get that happen. And it was a Saturday, I had to preach that night, so I got up early and got with it. Now, I realized before I could even attempt that, I had to get rid of about six to eight inches of leaves the whole neighborhood's leaves were in our yard. I don't know how that happens, but they just wait. And they're all there. I had to get them all out of the yard, and we probably had 5,000 pounds of acorns that I had to all get together. I went and bought a brand-new rake because I knew this, this thing was happening. My leaf floor has got to have a rake. It's got to be easier. So I had on my driveway the Himalaya mountains of leaves. I mean, you could hardly see over them. They were so tall, and there were so many of them. So my wife is backing out of the garage, decides to go shopping. And she's backing out. I say, honey, no problem. But yeah, you can go. Uh, feel free to drive over the leaves. It won't mess them up. Just make sure you miss my new rake. Yeah. She missed the leaves. <laughs> Ran right over my new rake. I went right to the ground, started giving CPR. I mean, this is my brand new rake. It's dying right there. I mean, I got these leaves. I got to finish this job. My type A personality is kicking in. I got to get this done. I got the tape. I'm trying to stitch it, put it all back together. I'm breathing in the rake. I'm breathing, trying to make sure it's going to last just to get this job done and everything. And my wife stops the car at the end of the driveway. She opens the door. She looks out and says, is everything Okay. <laughs> is everything okay? Yeah, okay. So here's Dallas. That's my wife's name. And here's Rick. That's me. And we're married. Uh, we'll have been married 41 years, January the 6th. That's just in three weeks from tonight. Yeah. Uh, can, can you imagine the bliss of someone being married to me for 41 years? Can you just imagine <laughs> I will tell you, uh, when she said I do to me some 41 years ago, even not being a believer in Jesus, I promise you she had a pathway straight to heaven because uh, God knew how challenging it would be to be married to someone uh, like me. So this little situation that we have in our life, Lederick would say, is a disruption. The rake, it's a disruption. I'm always shocked when people are shocked <laughs> that they have a disruption in their relationship. Can I repeat that again? I, I just love that statement. I am always shocked when people are shocked <laughs> that they have a disruption in their relationships. Whether ever there are two or more people together, there will be a disruption. Life happens. Disruptions happen. Happen. 
But letter X says, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, let me say this again. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and you just have a basic understanding of peacemaking principles, just a basic understanding, uh, you will see a disruption and you're not going to react. You're not going to see it as a threat to the relationship. He says in letter A there, you actually see it as an opportunity to strengthen the relationship. Fill with the Holy Spirit. Understand basic peacemaking skills. You'll see it. Hey, man, we can strengthen our marriage or whatever, your friendship, whatever. So I'm down here in the driveway. I'm on my hand just trying to breathe life into my brand new rake just to get it to last the rest of the time. And Dallas stops and looks back and everything okay? I'm swallowing. I'm getting ready to react. And I'm thinking, hey, I've been reading this Bible about being a peacemaker. Did you know when you read the Bible on a regular basis, it can actually come to impact how you behave during the day? It's amazing. <laughs> and so because of that, I went, it's fine. <laughs> just go shopping. Get out of here. I got it. No problem. I'll just pick each leaf up by hand. <laughs> I'll still be here when you get back, but it's Okay. Go. And so she goes. And she comes back later on. And she goes, Honey, I'm really sorry I ran over your rake. I didn't see it. I didn't. And because I've had some time to really even more think about it, I'm reading the scriptures, I was able to say, uh, You know what, honey? Uh, I have broken a lot of things around the house myself when I shouldn't have. And, and I, just the coffee pot itself, I've broken the carafe and our coffee pot washing it three times this fall. We've had to replace it. And you didn't hardly say a word. Hardly. <laughs> you didn't hardly say a word. And so, thank you for that. And we're good. We're okay. And actually what happened is our relationship was strengthened. Now, if she would have ran over my leaf blower, I would go into the attorney on Monday and it was done. <laughs> done. But, uh, so, but you, it can be stronger. Now, Let's just take a little more serious, serious disruption. Let's, let's up the ante a little bit. Uh, we have Jacob and Esau in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, over in Genesis chapter 27. And Jacob and Esau are brothers. Uh, their father's name is Isaac. And, and Jacob steals his brother Esau's birthright. Esau's the oldest. If you're the oldest, uh, you get a special blessing from your father. Uh, you get, you're entitled to a birthright, a larger, unique part of the inheritance. And Jacob, along with his conniving mother, uh, they cheat it out of Esau. They steal it. And go read the story. And Esau finds out about it. And when Esau discovers it, he makes this very powerful statement. He says, I'm going to kill him. Uh, that's what you call a disruption. <laughs> That's what you call a serious disruption. Man, I'm going to kill him. Now, let's just be honest about this. Uh, when you have this sort of disruption in a relationship, whatever the relationship, uh, you're probably not going to solve that just over Christmas dinner. Not going to happen. 
too big of a deal. But here's the point I want you to get here about this. If you don't resolve it quickly, a distance will create and you'll begin to move away from the other person. If you don't resolve it quickly, you'll move away. Some of you have had this happen. Don't raise your hand. Somebody said something. You got your feelings hurt. You got mad. You got upset. And you thought, I can't deal with this right now. I can't deal with it. I just don't want to see them. And you start moving away, right? Someone in the family. You have a fight with someone in the family. And then someone tells you, hey, listen, Aunt Mary, she's not coming to Christmas Day dinner. You go, I'm glad. I just didn't want to deal with her yet. Uh, you're at the office. You have a conflict with somebody in the office, John. And uh, someone says, hey, listen, I heard that John's not going to come to the Christmas party. And on the inside, you're going, mm. Not ready to face him and talk about this yet either. You're emotionally moving away from the person on purpose because you're not ready to deal with all the thoughts and feelings that are involved in the conflict and the disruption. Now here's the risk I want you to be away from. I want you to be aware of. That when you get to a place and you start moving away and you move away very far, these two places right here, between here and here, is the danger zone. You are creating a danger zone when you distance yourself and don't resolve this quick enough. And this danger zone, I want to call the devil's sandbox. Because when you allow yourself to emotionally distance yourself so far from this person, your heart gets hard. You get apathetic. You get filled with hate. You get indifferent. And when that happens, you start demonizing the other person or groups of people. Those no good, sorry, blankety-blank kind of people, that sort of person, they're good for nothing. They're awful. They're terrible. When their mama finds out what they did, even their mama's not going to love them when she knows what they did. God doesn't, shouldn't even give them breath. They're so sorry. And when you get this sort of distance, this danger zone from these two points, this is where people who are sober get unsober real quick. They fall off the wagon. Uh, this is where new addictions happen. Uh, this is where people have affairs. This is where people get on social media and they see an old flame and the old flame kind of flirts and plays around a little bit and you make one little response and all of a sudden you are playing in the devil's sandbox. Bad stuff happens. And if you are going to move beyond this, Letter Rex says there's something where the Holy Spirit speaks and works in a person's life and someone, one person at least, has to turn toward, there's a turn of turning toward the other person. In other words, you're here and all of a sudden the Spirit of God works in your life and in your mind you go, you know what? I can see the possibility of this relationship being reconciled. I mean, in my spirit I can and you begin to move, you turn and begin to move towards them just a little bit. 
You've not talked to them. You've not resolved anything. You've not had meaningful conversation. Just, you really feel, and this right here is a step of faith. It is a seed of faith that I believe that God is still in the reconciling miracle business. It's a step of faith that God can still do what some people say is impossible in broken relationships. And when you get to this point of turning, your heart has softened, your spirit, you've not resolved anything yet. You've just turned in your heart towards them a little bit more open. You're not walking away. Uh, you're getting closer to the possibility of conflict uh, transformation. Because that happens when you actually begin to start moving toward the other person. I mean, you're not just turned. You've turned and you're moving back. When both people, notice in your notes, some of you underline circle, both people, when both people move toward, move towards the other person, there's the possibility of a miracle. Uh, you, you, you don't start off and go, you know what, I'll move if you move. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not moving till you move. <laughs> that is a stubborn south part of a northbound mule. If God, the Holy Spirit, softens your heart and tells you to turn, you turn not knowing what this other person is going to do. You do it anyway in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Now, let me kind of share with you how this works, because I've seen this happen many times uh, in this church, in this worship space right here. Married couple, married couple, uh, leaders in this church, core leaders of this church, married 20 plus years, have kids. And they have a disruption. Uh, it's not a cataclysmic disruption, but it's enough of a disruption where they start kind of separating from each other, not geographically. They stay in the same house, but they separate emotionally and physically for a long time, emotionally and physically. Now, here's what they knew. And if you don't know, please hear this. You cannot sustain a marriage. In this case, we're talking marriage. A marriage will not be sustained for a long period of time if you are emotionally and physically disconnected for a long period of time. It will not make it. It will not be healthy. It will not be good. And that's where they were, living in the same house. And so they're in worship. And... I'm outside talking to people in line. There's people in line, being new people, stuff, da, da, da. And they get in line. There's about uh, six people in front. And I'm dreading. Oh, no. They're going to they're gonna come tell me. They have tears down their eyes. They're coming to tell me. They're coming to tell me they're done. It's going to blow their family up. It's going to mess with a lot of people in the church. These are core leaders. People know them. They have influence, blah, blah, blah. I'm going, oh. And I'm just dreading. So they finally, they get up there to me. And I did not hear what I expected. Uh, he said, you know what, Pastor, you ended the service differently than normal. Oh, really? What, what, yeah, yeah, you had to sit down instead of stand up. Uh, and you said, let the Spirit of God work however the Spirit of God needs to work. Just let that happen. 
And he said, you're always talking about these God whispers that I kind of think that God kind of whispers to you kind of in your spirit. I always think you're crazy. You're kind of nutty when you say that stuff. It never happened to me, but it happened to me today. And I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, uh, take your hand and place it in the chair between you and your wife. I thought it sounded kind of nutty, kind of weird. Uh, But I thought, what do I have to lose? (laughs) So I did the woman, she says, uh, no, Rick, I came here today uh, under protest. I didn't want to come to church today. I just didn't want to look at him ever again. I'm just done. I was going to the attorneys tomorrow. That's why there's a seat between them. And she said, but I felt the Holy Spirit never happened to me before in worship and it said hey would you take your hand and place it in the chair between you and your husband and just sit it there and I thought it was kind of nutty but I did now by now you figured out what happens their hands touch by the leadership of the Holy Spirit they touch and then they grab each other's hand and they hold each other for the first time in a long time in worship and they say what are we doing Are we really going to blow this family up, our kids up, over some little disruption of he said, she said, they did, over the rake being broken and many of those? Are we really going to blow it up over some? Are we going to do that? And they prayed. Right there, they prayed. And they were coming to tell me, with tears down their eyes, Hey, listen, tomorrow we're not going to the attorney's office. Uh, We're going to get marriage counsel. And not all stories end this way, okay? Please, this is no guilt and condemnation on anyone. I know every story is different. They don't all end this way. Uh, But this was a happily ever after story. And they're stronger and they're together and they're kids and everything. And uh, I'm just saying, God is still in the miracle business when two people turn towards each other and their heart is softened to let God do what God can do. So back to Jacob and Esau, right? Uh, Jacob and Esau. Uh, Jacob's way over here. Esau's way over here. Jacob feels awful. I mean, he's, oh my gosh, what did I do to Esau? I feel so terrible about that. And I just, oh, and God begins to make a turn in, in Jacob's life. And he says, hey, Jacob, uh, you got to go find your brother. You got to go chase him down and tell him you're making it right. You got to tell him you're sorry. And Jacob goes, man, I'm not doing that because my brother said if I ever come to him, he's going to kill me. And so verse 30, chapter 32, uh, Jacob and God wrestle all night long. Anybody here ever wrestled with God all night long because of a relationship that's gone south? I mean, you just wrestled all night long. And the next morning, God says, just go. So Jacob, uh, he starts moving 
back toward to find Esau. And what he didn't realize that God had did a turn in Esau's heart. Go read it, Genesis chapter 33. And he starts going this way back toward his brother. And go read it down in verse 4. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, these two grown men have a reconciliation uh, encounter. I know you can't read that. Reconciling encounter. And man, it's beautiful. They hug each other. They kiss each other. I'm so sorry I did that. I was wrong. Hey, listen. Man, I get it. God has blessed me. It's been years ago. I love you. You're my brother. You're my brother. I love you, brother. Now, church, I realize uh, this didn't always, I, you name the relationship, whatever the friendship, whatever the relationship, you name it, I know this doesn't happen easily. Uh, sometimes you got to work five yards, five yards, you talk about it, five yards, five yards, you talk about it. I mean, sometimes there's a series of things till you get to where you can have a transformation in the relationship. But if you do the work, your relationship really can be stronger. You can be stronger than you ever had before. And here's why, because you've learned some things. And here's the first thing you've learned. Very important lesson. This right here is no place to live because the larger you, the longer you live here, your heart will get hard. It is the devil's playground, and it will mess up your life bigger than you can imagine. You've learned that. You can't live like that. You've also learned that you've got to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit to cause you to turn because by your own strength, your stubbornness, you won't do it. That you need the Holy Spirit to break down your pride and say, go. And thirdly, that it takes courage. It takes courage to move from here to here. Because if I'm moving here, I'd have no guarantee this person's moving. It takes courage. It takes a lot of courage. Because what if they don't move? But if they do. Now, I would be committing pastoral malpractice if I didn't challenge you here before we came to this table. So here's the first challenge. The first challenge is if you've had a disruption with someone in your family or friendship, I want you to examine your heart. And is your heart getting hard? Have you so distanced yourself from them And remember, if you distance yourself so much, you'll start demonizing. You're going to say something and do something that could mortally wound the relationship, and they will never even be open on human terms to come back to you. You've got to resolve it quickly. You've got to turn and say, you know what? It wasn't all them. <laughs> In fact, they're not as bad as I make them out to be. Probably there's some things about me. I contribute to this problem myself. I got to own it. I've done some things far worse than them. Uh, can you, and just turn and see what God. That's the first thing. That's my first challenge. Hey, church, it's Christmas. Would you please break down your pride for the sake of peace in the family? Would you? Secondly, would you please pray for your church? And for us, what is our role of being peacemakers in the world? I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of the division and the hatred at so many levels in our world. Politics, churches, all this stuff. I just... And for us to be peacemakers, you'd really pray about that. And third one, here's the final thing. 
I know there are some of you here, you've had a disruption with God. You had a serious disruption with God. Maybe a pastor, someone like me, we did something stupid, said something in the wrong way, and it really hurt you and offended you and turned you off God in the church. Or maybe the church did something and turned their back upon you, and you just felt cast aside because of something in your life or who you are, whatever. I don't know. Or maybe something happened in your life that was unfair, tragic, and you blame it on God, and you prayed, and God didn't change it. And because of that, you turned and you left God. I mean, you turned and you said, man, God, and you just, you turned away from God. If this is you this morning, please hear this. Uh, you may have turned away from God, but God has never turned from you. Because when you turned and you left and you put your back upon God and hardened your heart and distanced yourself, God was tracking along with you all the way, just waiting for you to turn and his hands extended. Uh, that's what happened at the table. He said, this is my body broken for you. Uh, before you ever asked, <laughs> before you ever turned, uh, I sent my son to be the peacemaker. This is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood, spilled upon the ground for the forgiveness of your sins, <laughs> for your wrongdoing, for your disruptions that you caused, <laughs> uh, even before you ever asked. And if you had come to this table today, some of you, maybe for the first time, maybe you're coming back, you would receive this bread and this juice as a symbol of turning and grabbing the hand of the one who offers it to you so you might be in peace with God again through Jesus. Would someone do that this morning? Online, true worth, sanctuary, art, would someone be open to the Holy Spirit to reconcile with someone in the room or with God? God, we pray over this table, uh, this table of reconciliation, this table of peace, this table of forgiveness, uh, this table of mercy, this table of grace that reminds us that Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. Uh, he is the Prince of Peace. Uh, he came to this planet so we might know peace in our families, in our friendships, in our, in our churches, in our nations, in our world. And so, God, as we come to receive this bread and this juice, we set it aside for holy and sacred use that when you eat and drink, we might be nourished uh, spiritually, emotionally, uh, even physically, God. And we would experience a reconciliation with you and with one another. If you've not been baptized, you're welcome to come to this table. If this is not a member, you're not a member of this church, uh, you're welcome to come to this table. Uh, your only reason, your only need for being here is because you feel called, you feel compelled, you feel invited by God himself to come and receive the love and grace, which is the beginning point of peace. You'll be invited to come front to back, left to back, uh, left to right, same in the back, same in the sanctuary. Uh, you're invited to come as you are led.
promised Messiah. Angels, then your song began. Here comes heaven. Christ is born in like you sent your son Jesus to be right here with us on this earth. 
God, that even now in this place, your spirit is here with us. So no matter what we're experiencing this Christmas season, God, we know that you are here with us. We thank you for that, God. Can't go back to the beginning. I can't control what tomorrow will bring. But I know here in the middle is the place where you promise to be. Come on, every voice together. Can we sing this? Not enough. Not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? As I walk down through the valley And your love rise above every fear Like the sun shaping the shadow In my weakness your glory appears
that you're here, sing it together again, I'm not enough. Not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Cause all I want is all you. finish with the Holy Spirit perhaps what he started is there someone standing next to someone behind someone a relationship that you know you need to turn uh, God has spoken uh, your heart is softened now it's up to you are you going to act on what the Holy Spirit has said be a peacemaker. I ask you to do it, God. Move on your people. Can you please state our purpose statement together? Kind of hear it in a different way today. Uh, the purpose of Pathway Church is to glorify God and to share the love and grace of Jesus Christ with as many people as we can. And how shall we fulfill this purpose? By ministering to spiritual, emotional, and physical needs. By providing Christian relationships in the family of God. And providing the challenge for individual and collective spiritual growth. Blessed are the peacemakers. Go be one. <laughs>